Good morning and welcome here. My name is Sarah and I'm one of the pastors here along with Eden. Um, and I get to host the round table this morning. Uh, we've got a couple of questions. These um, came from Nathan-ish. I tweaked them slightly, but they came from Nathan and we're going to talk a little bit about doubt this morning. So the questions are, what causes you to doubt? Is doubt a dirty word, an encouraging word or something else for you? So uh, just you can be thinking about that for a second, and I will um, I will just chat a little bit about that, what that cape brought up for me. I was kind of journaling about this this morning, um, and I decided to look it up in the dictionary. Apparently, doubt in the dictionary is a feeling of uncertainty or a lack of conviction. And for me, I think doubt is about being a perpetual learner, uh, to having no strong, this is how it is, um, and no points that I won't debate, because there are things that I don't think now that I used to think and things that I'm sure that I won't think in the future that I think now. Um, and as I was journaling about this this morning, I unearthed a couple of things that I am fairly certain of, uh, still qualifying that with fairly certain, um, but I am fairly certain that God is love and that Jesus showed us what that looks like. Mm. That's probably one thing, but two things. God is love and Jesus shows us what that looks like. That's what my heart knows to be true. And I know it in my Noah, and I can't quite tell you why, but I just do. And I know that's not super helpful, but that is what it is. Um, but everything else, I think everything else is up for grabs, for debate and for looking into. And I realized that there are points of doctrine that different churches have held that I have never quite gone all in on. And I think that's because of the way my early church experience as a teenager worked out. Um, I went to a Christian not any particular denomination boarding school. And we got to choose which flavor of church we went to on a Sunday morning. They would like bus us into this into the town. So the first church I went to, not having a clue about any of them, was an Anglican. Um, and there was a dude up front in a robe and there was organ music and they baptized babies. That seemed to be their thing. Uh, then I tried out the Baptist church and there was a dude up the front wearing a suit and tie. Um, there was a person playing a guitar and there was drums and they would not baptize babies because their thing was baptizing grown-ups. And then occasionally I went to a brethren church and that seemed like a total free-for-all, went on for hours, which is why I only went there occasionally because <laughs> I was like, what the heck, this thing goes on forever. Um, and there was no leader, there seemed to be no plan and everyone could just start singing a song a cappella if they wanted to or speak from whatever they wanted to. And uh, it was very definitely very different to the other two which had a plan and a leader and seemed to have a, more of a direction. So I actually think those three experiences as a teenager were a gift to me because I realized that the foundation was that God is love or I, 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 what I heard from them is that God loved me um, and all the other things were sort of seemed to be fluid and it didn't it didn't like if one held it another didn't mm -hmm. and so it didn't really matter mm -hmm. so it came kind of I was it, it feels like a gift that experience mm -hmm. that I didn't grow up in a church that there was just this one way of knowing and mm -hmm. a one way of doing and then mm -hmm. this is the way that it is so doubt for me is a is a hopeful word it's definitely not a dirty word it's an encouraging word um, and it's a gift because everything is up for negotiation. So it's a learning word. It's a place of growth and of curiosity um, and perhaps uh, not comfortable, but it is good. I guess it's like a snake that's shedding its skin. It doesn't seem very comfortable for the snake, but it's gonna help him grow. So that's me. Mm. Um, so what about you? What causes you to doubt? Is doubt a dirty word, an encouraging word or something else for you? and you can feel free just to speak and you will appear um, and if you want to stay in the edit that goes to the uh the podcast particularly then uh, just let me know that you want to you want to keep your part your part your part in I will presume you don't unless you tell me that you do um, and so if you're listening on the podcast if there's a bit of a awkward jump right now that's because nobody wanted to share anything publicly um so yeah what causes you to doubt is doubt a dirty word, an encouraging word, or something else for you? Your turn. I think for me, without having thought about it too much ahead of time, which I could have because I had the slides, um, I right away I think um, 
of there's like head doubt and there's a heart doubt. And um, I'm just thinking specifically of heart doubt. And to me, along the lines of the welcome that I gave, that feels like a feeling. And so for me, it's not a dirty word or an encouraging word. It's it's a uh, it's a sign. It's a symptom. It's a it's a feeling that I look at and go, oh, look at you! Wow, where did you come from? What brought you about? Are you trying to tell me something? Is there something that I don't realize is going on? And uh, so for me, it's a it's a signpost. It's a it's a sign of something else. Often the the, the heart one. Cool. That's great, Josh. Thanks. Um, I'll, I'll say what causes me to doubt. It's uh, when stuff that I've been told doesn't line up with stuff that I've learned to be real. And um, that can throw things off and make you question stuff. And I don't think doubt is a dirty word at all, but I do think we need to recognize that it can be very painful and difficult to go through. Um, great to have you on the steering team, by the way. And uh, you get to lead us a little bit this morning. So thank you. Very much. Good to be here. Are you fixing your hair? <laughs> I'm giving up on mine. Anyway, so communion. Um, when Eden asked us about this, I thought, yeah, communion, that's interesting. Yeah, we can do that. And then I started thinking about all my feelings around communion. And I, I just thought, oh, when Jesus said originally, you know, eat my flesh and drink my blood I have to say I'm with the crowd that was listening like that is gross I'm sorry but I I just can't find anything in that that really makes me feel like oh this is a real spiritual moment you know like wow I'm gonna be uh moved into transformation by doing that um anyway I but the whole idea of um embodiment yeah. and something becoming part of your body yeah. like for me the whole thing of the symbolism of okay this is your my flesh is becoming your actual flesh right, yeah. my, the lifeblood in my body is now going to flow through your body mm -hmm. and then it becomes a very practical thing i don't have to mm -hmm. finger someone who's getting in my way in traffic i can choose i have power mm -hmm. to choose to just take a deep breath. I can take that breath and say, I'm embodying mm -hmm. the life and the resurrection of Jesus. You know, when my kids are out of order and my, or I think they're out of order and they're not, <laughs> I don't have to yell. I can take a deep breath and I can say, my life, I can embody. I, his flesh is my flesh. His life, his blood is my blood. And I can choose, I have the power to choose like he chose to live a different way, nonviolent way, uh, um, mm -hmm. just making it practical for me. So yeah. those are kind of my, some of my thoughts about communion. And so, so on so, that point. So it's the, the, the piece of that you're doing, you're, anytime you eat or drink, you're, yes. you're, you're kind of remembering this idea, this embodiment of, mm -hmm. of uh, you know, uh, we are all one. Uh, yes. You know, this idea that Christ is all and, and in, in all. all so 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 christ <laughs> equals everything yes. and that is the ultimate idea of, okay well let's remember that let's yeah, remember yeah, that yeah. so on that point let's remember that and eat and drink and um enjoy <laughs> hmm. Would you like to pray for Nathan? Is that like, do I do that? That right? is the next on oh, the yeah, list. Oh yeah, look at that, there it is. Nathan, Nathan Newdorf. Oh, there he is. Right here. This screen business. Right here. Well, uh, yeah, Nathan mm -hmm. uh, and I have had many an adventure. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not talk about that. <laughs> So it's so cool. We're here sharing a screen. We haven't seen each other in a little while now, but mm. God, I thank you that 
love is something that is constantly moving, it's dynamic, it's not static, it fills the space between each other, mm -hmm. um, it holds everything together, and that's mm -hmm. the, the crazy thing about when we when we're just trying to understand what it is we're dealing with. We, we know there's something in, as an artist once said, there's something in the water. There's something in the mm -hmm. water, something in the wind. And so I just, uh, I, I'm celebrating Nathan as this God, God is love in flesh. And uh, mm -hmm. so, so appreciate um, him, his life, his humor, uh, and his heart for people and uh, genuineness. So thank you for who you are, Nathan. Blessings to you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Philip and Brenda. Wow. <laughs> okay. So here we are. It's interesting because uh, even as I was listening, I was writing down a few thoughts here on doubt. So I really love this round table um, idea and uh, the conversation that was going on. So I actually jotted a few things down. So, uh, okay, well, let's jump in. Um, I have to say that um, <clears throat> right before we began here this morning, I had a few minutes to go and take a walk. Uh, there is a trail at the top of my street that has forest access. Um, and it's one of my happy places. Um, as I walked up the past the forest, um, it opened up. I kind of did a double take, kind of like Lucy standing at the wardrobe of Narnia. Um, and I thought, you know, what the heck? I could just ditch everybody and just go on a hike. And uh, wouldn't that just be pleasant? Um, <laughs> of course, reason uh, stepped in. Um, but the forest is my happy place. I connect with nature. Um, the, it's the green ferns. It's the, it's the light streaming through the cedars. Um, it's really where I connect. Um, and so my aim this morning is to connect with all of you, have some fun, and hopefully bring some things that we can all relate to. Um, okay, so let's jump in. Um, so for any of you that haven't met me, my name is Nathan. Uh, today I have the privilege of sharing, um, and um, I'm just gonna start off with a little bit about myself. So I am married, my wedding ring right there, um, to Sylvia. Uh, who is the administrator here at the bridge, but also um, is my friend. Um, I've been blessed beyond measure to have a wife as a friend. Um, and she's been my, my, by my side through the highs and the lows. Uh, but we've been married for 28 years and we live together here in Abbotsford. Um, I also am a father to three amazing children. Uh, and just recently my eldest son announced his engagement. So we have a wedding coming up. Yeah, coming soon. I know. Um, so that's just a, a little snippet into who I am. Um, so let's jump into today's talk. Um, I was introduced to the theme. Um, I was asked by Eden to speak. And so um, we're continuing for this season up to Easter. Christ is the center with the subtext. Every story tells his story. Uh, using the gospel passage for this week, I'll be attempting to tackle uh, the answers to two questions attempting to um, within the context of my talk. Uh, the first is, what does this story reveal about Christ's character? That's number one. Number two, what does my story reveal about Christ's character? So if we were going to picture this talk that I'm going to be giving as a meal, uh, the menu would look something like this. The appetizer, the intro, is defining the word epiphany. That's a big word. Um, and as we move into, if you won't move from like the appetizer, that would be epiphany, we move on to the salad portion of the meal. Uh, we'll be reading the gospel story of John 2, 1 to 12. Uh, and because vegetables are important and all that, um, uh, you know, it's always good that we have the vegetables. But <clears throat> however, um, <clears throat> if you're anything like me, um, you are consuming it quite quickly, knowing and hoping that something more substantial is coming. Um, isn't that true? Uh, so um, next we will tuck into the main course, how this story reveals Christ's character. And a little bit of a spoiler, 
here's a sneak peek. So if you can take a little sneak peek here, Christ's character is revealed through Mary's faith. There's a little sneak peek at part of the menu. Um, and then we get to pause Nathan's talk and watch Nathan eat chocolate. So I'll be eating some chocolate. Yes. Um, also, with every great meal, isn't there always like a surprise that comes? Every great meal. That's why they call happy meals. So um, we're going to be having a little bit of a a little bit of a surprise. Uh, we're going to be um, checking out what that is, um, and then uh, we're going to be doing something completely different than most meals. Um, at the end, we're going to push back our chairs and leave the mess of the dishes and leave the table. Untidy, messy, and undone. And then we're going to hand it back to the host. Okay, so that's basically the menu of where we're going with this. So let's start with Epiphany. <clears throat> um, I really like what Eden has on her chalkboard, and I think it's still there. It is. <clears throat> okay, I actually wrote it in here. It really struck me last Sunday. Epiphany equals aha. I love the way that sums up epiphany. Um, the dictionary defines epiphany as this, the revelation of God incarnate as Jesus Christ, the manifestation of Christ to the Gentiles, and a moment of sudden revelation or insight, the proof of the reality of something. So that is what epiphany is defined as. When I first read through the passage I was given for this Sunday, I was struck with the beauty and simplicity in which the author John writes. John 2, 1 to 11. I'm saying 11 because in the NIV, verse 12 goes right back into um, Jesus clearing the temple. So mine says 1 to 11. You gave me 1 to 12. Um, uh, but John's eyewitness account is what we're reading. It's John basically accounting um, this passage and many more events John chronicles in the life of Jesus. The story we're focusing on today is laid out simply by giving us this setting, the, the context of the event and the results of the encounter. What I particularly love about this Jesus encounter is the interaction between Jesus and Mary. That's Jesus' mother. Um, it's a unique interaction between them, which I'll be focusing on this morning. So as we read this together, let's pay special attention to the dialogue between Mary and Jesus in John's eyewitness account. Um, it's a reflection of their relationship. Um, and as we'll find out together, perhaps so much more. So let's read this passage together. I'm reading out of um, this Bible. This Bible uh, was given to me by my mother. My father passed away in October. And so I've been enjoying um, actually having his Bible. Um, all the best parts are underlined. Um, and it's really unique um, going through this, uh, feeling the pages, and just going through it. It's very aesthetically pleasing. So here we go. Uh, this is in the NIV. Follow along with what you have. Uh, the title is Jesus Changes Water to Wine. So this is John 2, 1 to 11 in the new NIV, uh, 12 in other ones. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, pausing there, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. It's very interesting. Uh, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing each one holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. You know it's Jesus speaking because it's in red. Fill the jars with water. So they filled them with, to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, then he called the bridegroom aside. He said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. Okay, so let's break down the eyewitness event 
John is reading about or writing about and look at some possible hidden meanings. Let's see where this account happens in the timeline of Jesus' ministry. Uh, when we look at the miracles and define what they are, um, we have a chance to define a little bit of epiphany and where it applies in the kingdom. Um, and finally, let's see if this applies to us and how. So I think it's quite important to begin with um, to note that Jesus was invited. It's one of the first parts actually in this passage. Um, and I think this is important to the story. The bride and groom wanted him there. And what does this mean for us reading this? Invitation. I want you to let that word sink in for a bit. Have you ever been invited to a party? I believe invitation in our relationship with Jesus can make all the difference. So uh, let's just uh, tuck that word away, invitation. For some context, let's read John chapter 1. This is how John introduces Jesus. So if we, well, we always want to keep things in context within uh, the passage. Um, and so let's read John chapter 1. I'm actually going to turn to it here. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing that was made that has been made. Okay, so Jesus, according to John, is the architect. Everything that has been made was made by him. Okay, so since Jesus is the architect behind literally everything, burning stars, spinning planets, fiery volcanoes, and fragile rose petals, I could go on and on about creativity. Since he literally made it all, how easy would water to wine be? <laughs> it's Compared to all of that, I think it would seem, I don't know, um, you do the decision there. So just think about that. Um, I do believe that Jesus loves parties. Scripture refers to feasts and banquets a lot. And because many of the customs of this culture are unfamiliar to us, let's look into some of the more obscure parts of this account. So I'd like to note, um, very little is known about weddings in Palestine um, and how they're performed. Um, that's first century. But clearly the feast was a very important part and might actually go on for a week. I did not know that. So that gives us some context. Uh, the six stone jar, water jars John highlights were used for ceremonial washing. So that's also pointed out. And I think this is also a test to Jesus, his creativity. He's using what is right there. So he could have created something out of nothing, but what he does a lot of the times through scripture is he grabs what is just present. Uh, he takes some mud out of the ground. He puts it on people's eyes. So he's using <clears throat> what's right there. Um, um, so the six stone jars, John highlights, were used for ceremonial washing. Jews became ceremonially defiled during the normal circumstances of the day and life and were cleansed by pouring water over the hands. For a lengthy feast with many guests, a large amount of water was required for this. How much water? Okay, so I'm not a mathematician. I did the math, and maybe in the comments, you guys can like help me out here. Um, okay, so um, according to the concordance I read, the ceremonial jars had held between um, 20 to 30 gallons each. So if you multiply that, my simple math is 120 gallons, okay? 120 gallons, okay? So I have here a nice bottle of red, and I think we can, we can also um, confirm that Jesus was a red, red guy. Um, he likes red. Um, and so uh, this is 750 milliliters. Again, in the chat, you guys can do your own math here. If you take 120 gallons, we're talking approximately 600 bottles of wine. So someone can do the math. You can, you, can, you can do that in the chat or something like that. Don't get distracted. But um, 750 mils into, I'm, go, I'm going conservative, about 120 gallons. That's about 600 bottles of wine. So does Jesus like a party? <laughs> Jesus likes a party. Okay. Another thing to point out um, in the culture of that time um, is to fail in hospitality. So it says... And this is, Mary doesn't do a lot of speaking in here. She really doesn't. Um, so she just really sums it up quite quickly. And she says, they have no more wine. We don't know why Mary does this. Was she like talking with some of the ladies in the back room? 
I don't know what's going. Maybe there's some whispering going on, but she brings this to Jesus' attention. I think we're getting to the main point of what I'm going to speak on here. Um, we're coming down to it. Um, and that is that Jesus has this fact pointed out by his mother, Mary. Okay. Um, it is an offense in that culture. If the, if the feast is going to be going on for a week, we don't know when they are in this feast. Are they a couple of days into it or is the beginning, but Mary points out to Jesus and she just states a, a fact. They are running out of wine. Okay. So that's important to note. Um, in that culture, um, it was a serious offense. In fact, you could actually like do a small little like legal thing um, if you weren't fed or something like that. So um, I'm not going to get too much into that, but there is something interesting about culture there. So it would be very embarrassing to run out of wine. Um, um, I also want to just touch on a little bit um, of miracles. In my concordance, it talks about miracles. Um, there are approximately 34 miracles performed by Jesus chronicled in the, in the gospels. So the breakdown of those are 23 miracles of miraculous healing done by Jesus about approximately 23, nine accounts of his command over the forces of nature, meaning he can walk on water. He can calm a storm. Um, and then three accounts of him bringing the dead back to life. So how is this miracle different than all of those? Um, I just wanted to break it down a little bit. Um, first of all, no one is in danger. No one's sick. There's no blindness to deal with. There's no death. There's no don't storm. There's also no demon possession. So I just wanted to let that sit for a little bit that this miracle. Yeah. Is it, I don't know. People will talk about necessary, unnecessary, but John talks about it being a miraculous sign. And I found this very interesting. When I went through the other gospels, John is the only gospel writer who chooses to refer to these miracles as miraculous signs. In fact, he numbers them. Um, he notes in this one, um, he says, this is the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed at Canaan Galilee. So he's actually numbering them. He's going through. Important to note in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this um, story is not even brought up. So there's many eyewitness accounts that have happened of Jesus. So um, <clears throat> uh, um, also, I also want to point out that it was Philip who introduced me to the amplified version of the Bible. So thank you, Philip. I'm going to be um, touching on that right now. So um, John 2, 11 in the amplified says, and there's a lot of brackets in there, um, this, the first of his signs, brackets, attesting miracles, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and revealed his glory, brackets, displaying his deity and his great power openly. And his disciples believed, brackets, confidently in him, brackets, as the Messiah. They adhered to, trusted in, and relied on him. So in result of this miraculous sign, this was an epiphany to them. This was an aha moment um, uh, when they realized they actually, and it says they didn't just put their faith in him. Uh, the, the, um, the author that I was reading, the concordance said they put their, his, their faith into him. So this uh, was important for the disciples as well. Uh, this beginning of signs is the first of seven signs presented in the gospel of John, each designed to bring the reader to faith in Jesus Christ. John explains this purpose in John 20, 30 to 31. This is the very, he, John is summing up his, uh, his gospel here. And he says, truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may, and this is the context, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Uh, so remember, this is the high king of the universe. This is Jesus in bodily form. Um, he's created not only everyone in that room from scratch, but he created his very own mother. So just let that sink in. So this relationship, I want to talk a little about this relationship between Jesus and his mother, Mary. Um, he is Mary's creator. I think that this relationship could be a little bit bizarre, uh, but Jesus is also the creator of all of the elements in that room. Every particle, every 
uh, fiber, every molecule in that room. So we're talking about someone who has command. Um, he has the authority, he has the command, and he seems very relaxed. In fact, uh, his words are very, like, very short in this, not short, but they're very succinct in this. Um, but this is where my mind goes with a passage like this, that there are many other dynamics going on here that simply um, more than what the author is actually writing about. So I, I dug a little bit deeper into what appears to be almost disrespect of Jesus to his mother. Let's read it again. Her comment to Jesus is, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. It almost sounds like meddling. Um, his words to his mother are, dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. It seems quite curt. It seems almost rude. Um, in that culture, calling your own mother woman was actually a term of honor and respect. Okay, so we're learning something here. Um, so no, Jesus was not giving attitude to his mother. He was quite the opposite. Okay, but let's read between the lines here. Jesus' statement to Mary reveals his mother's intention. My time is not yet come. So she says, they have no more wine. What is she inferring? The, the, the passage doesn't give us the background of that. We have to fill in the blanks, okay? So Jesus' statement to her is, my time has not yet come. And again, just keep in context, this is the master of, of all universes, okay? So he's saying to her, my time hasn't come. Um, so in Philippians 2, we read, this is, again, we're just trying to give some more context here. Um, Jesus emptied himself of his godly power. So this is what Philippians 2 says. Of his own free will, he gave up all he had as God and took on the very nature of a servant. He became like a human being and appeared in human likeness. So this is how we see Jesus at the wedding of Cana. He's a human. However, Jesus being made God is reminding his earthly mother Okay, let's not forget how bizarre and beautiful this mother-son relationship is. He's reminding her, my time has not yet come. He's, he's not doing anything of himself. He is checking with the father at this point. It doesn't say that, um, but uh, Nathan's international version says that he's taking time to just pause. He's checking in with his father. Mary demonstrates a trust in Jesus' ability to address the need that has arisen. Okay. I'm just, I'm going to repeat that again, because I think it's pretty much one of my main points here. Okay. Mary demonstrates a trust in Jesus' ability to address the need that has arisen. The disciples believed in Jesus after the miracle. Okay. This is not rocket science. They see something, they believe. That's verse 11. But Mary believes in the absolute power of Jesus' word before anything has actually happened. And this is what I want to, I just want to, I, this is my, what I want to really focus on. Okay. She trusts that whatever he says will work. This is truly miraculous. Um, and the water to wine is miraculous. I think some of the real parts of the miracle are in this context right here. Um, so what is the main point I want to talk about? Um, is that Mary, Mary was completely confident of what Jesus was capable of. Okay. Of who he was. Even despite his normal outward human appearance, what Jesus was capable of was everything. Um, this is a story of a miracle, Jesus' first miracle, and miracles happen when four things are present. The stage is set, someone has a need, a miracle meets that need, and there is response to that miracle. Okay? Uh, the water to one account is Jesus' debut to the world. The sign of Emmanuel, God is with us. Jesus reveals his true glory. Um, and can we just pause again to appreciate Mary? She birthed him. She nursed him. Uh, she raised him. Uh, I have so many questions. Did Jesus have a dog? I mean, like there's a lot of things that, um, that I have questions about. But as a parent, for all of us that are parents, you're privileged to all the beautiful moments and all the injuries and all the effects of raising children. So just imagine parenting the architect of all creation. Um, uh, so uh, Mary says to the servants, after this, she says, whatever he says for you to do, do it. That's in the Amplified. Um, I want to quote uh, Richard Rohr's book, Breathing Underwater. 
and brings another side to this. Um, his mother brought a concern to Jesus. She didn't tell him what needed to be done. She accepts his response and asks the servants to do whatever he tells you. And that's the last we hear of her in this passage. She took the situation to her son and walked away with perfect trust. Once again, Jesus took on Mary's concern. It became his problem because she let go of it and trusted the outcome to him. Do you see what's happening here? She brings the concern to Jesus and then she lets go. In fact, there are no other parts, Mary's speaking parts in the rest of this passage. Uh, she's let go. Um, Mary was completely confident in what Jesus was capable of, of who he was despite his outward human appearance. So in Eden, uh, originally when she um, messaged me, she invited me to um, address two questions during my talk. So let's start with the first one. Um, the question was, what does this story reveal about Christ's character? I'm going to add, how does the wedding at Cana tell Jesus' story? Um, it's a simple answer that I came up with. Uh, Jesus was invited. Jesus not only came, he showed up. Okay, so we've all been at things, a meeting, um, any, insert anything you want here. There's times where you can just show up or you can come prepared, willing and ready. I think Jesus was always at the willing and the ready. There's so many um, passages where people approach Jesus. Um, it's not, they didn't, he didn't get like a, an email uh, invitation or anything ahead. Um, people just approach him, like spur of the moment. Uh, Mary's confident in who Jesus was in the moment and what he was capable of. How many unrecorded moments do we have that Jesus also did miraculous things. Um, so in, I'm, the reason why I'm saying that is in the end of John's gospel, chapter 21, verse 25, uh, uh, John uh, pens, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have been, have enough room for the books that would have been written. It's interesting. Okay. So there's a lot of other things. So what experience did Mary have with Jesus that were not penned that brought her to that confidence? Mary's phrase, do whatever Jesus asks you to do, is where I would aspire to be. The servants in the story were without hesitation, without question, without reservation. The servants were obedient. How did this happen? Perhaps Jesus spoke with authority. It doesn't really give any... Um, it doesn't talk about any kind of his in, um, like the way he said it. Um, um, perhaps Jesus speak, spoke with authority. Um, on Mary's part, though, I believe it was by her spending so much time with Jesus that she actually knew him. As calm and confident as Jesus was during that miracle moment, so was Mary. So uh, the other thing to point out was... Um, at what point did the miracle happen? Because Jesus says, fill them to the brim. And then the next statement is, take some and bring it to the master ceremonies. I find it fascinating that at no point Jesus says, yeah, can I taste that? Give me a taste. Let, let's just test it before it actually goes to everybody. Because once the cat's out of the bag, and again, this is this whole point of Jesus possibly saying, you know, my time's not yet come. Uh, once the cat's out of the bag, Jesus starts doing miracles. The lineup is out the door and around the corner of people who are desperate. They're desperate for a miracle. They're desperate for a savior. They're desperate for a king, right? Um, so I could wrap up this talk and end it right now. I could. We could just put a nice little bow on this. We could put a little Christian bow on this and we could wrap it all nice. And this could be the end of my talk. Jesus does a miracle and Mary believed. And isn't that simple? It's simple to say, do whatever Jesus tells you. And that's where I could, I could end this. Okay. Something in here. I think we might be curious to what's inside here. So um, I brought a gift. Um, here is the rub. I'm going to open this gift up so we all kind of know what's going on here. So the rub is we all hear Jesus clearly. Open this gift. 
Can you all hear Jesus clearly? Sorry. Yeah. I wrap it, I know. What's inside here? Hey, there's a few things in here. First of all, we have we have doubt. Doubt's in here. We also have broken pottery. All broken. That's inside this box. Let's unpack, let's unpack this together. Uh, the rub is the reality that we don't all hear Jesus clearly, do we? The phrase doing whatever Jesus asks you to do sounds so painfully simple, doesn't it? This is the messy part I was referring to in the menu. So I might hear what some of you are saying. It might be my own thoughts as well. Nathan, you don't know the pain that I'm going through. Nathan, there's this thing that happened to me that you don't know about. We could just wrap this up in a nice little bow and just say, well, yeah, it's a nice, cute little story, okay? Doubt, this is why we talked about this at the round table. What does doubt represent to you? Now, I really loved some of the comments that were made. Um, I wrote down what Brenda said. Doubt is a natural part of learning. I love that. Um, thank you, Brenda, for that. Doubt is just a natural part of learning. Um, also, Sarah talked about uh, like uh, talking about a snake, a snake shedding its skin. So it can be something that's actually part of the, the beauty of that. Okay. Um, in the roundtable questions, Sarah led, um, she asked, what causes you to doubt? Is doubt a dirty word? Is it an encouraging word? There's something else. Allow me to read the lyrics to a song that's written by an artist I've been following quite a while, Switchfoot. I was first attracted to Switchfoot because of um, uh, he had more of a surfer vibe to it. Um, but um, I was uh, first um, stumbled on this song in a low point that I was having. One evening last October, I was driving home from Vancouver General. Um, I was going to visit my hospital. He was laying in a hospital bed there uh, suffering from internal bleeding. Um, that evening in the car, an ocean-sized wave of doubt washed over me that night, driving home in the dark rain. Um, so I'm gonna read you the lyrics. The song is called, Jesus, I Have My Doubts. I included that in the playlist. Uh, Jesus, I'm sorry about last night. Jesus, we both know I tried. Jesus, it feels like the world's in pieces. I'm sure you've got your reasons, but I've got my doubts. Jesus, I've got my doubts. When everything that feels right is wrong and all of my belief feels gone and the darkness in my heart is so strong, can you reach me here in the silence? Singing these broken songs, looking for the light for so long, but the pain goes on and on. Can you reach me here in the silence? Yeah. Jesus, what, what a week we've had. Jesus, has the world gone mad? Jesus, it feels like the world's in pieces. Um, during... Uh, this long, difficult season that John Foreman writes this, um, I'm actually got a quote from him when he was writing this song. So the story behind the song, Jesus, I have my doubts. I don't believe in a God who's afraid of my questions. I don't believe in a God who's afraid of me because a God that cannot be questioned doesn't sound like God at all. You may not believe with that, but part of believing is to doubt, to ask, to seek, to knock, and ultimately to find. This is a song that steps into the ring with God, asking the big questions at the end of a long, difficult season. This song is my honest hope and honest attempt to sing into my doubts. That's from John Foreman. Um, so this song came to me in a difficult time, and it was like someone opening a window into a stuffy room. What I love about this song is the artist asks hard questions, but doesn't throw the answers at us. He lets the hard questions land, like pottery, falling off the counter and breaking. So we've got these broken, we've got these broken pieces, right? And it's untidy. It can be uncomfortable. It could be part of a natural learning process. Um, but he leaves the messy pieces on the floor. He doesn't sweep them up quickly. With this intent in mind, I, I am going to leave the messiness of doubt and not try to wrap that up in a nice package and solve it for us this morning. Um, I could bring out the broom and the dustpan 
and end this talk all nice and neat and tidy. Um, instead, I'd like to take a minute to thank the people who have met me in my doubt. Um, people you will recognize. Speaking of Epiphany, when I started listing some of the people, they are actually here on this screen with me today. Um, my wife. My wife has met me in some of my doubts. Philip Jans. Uh, Philip and Brenda have walked with me through a lot of these difficult things. Josh Lowen. Josh Lowen's taken the time to meet me for coffee. Um, he's come out. We've had some good long talks. Um, Eden. And thank you, Eden. I think all of these people know how and where you've taken time for me. And I wanted to acknowledge that. Um, um, I also wanted to acknowledge Lando. Lando, um, out of the blue, you happened to call me on the phone on a day I was especially missing my dad. Um, and I wanted to say thank you for that. Um, at some point during the season of doubt, these people took the time to meet with me, not only to give me advice or not, sorry, not to give me any advice, sorry, uh, but to listen. It took vulnerability on my part, but they helped me with this as well. Um, I'd also like to take a special time to thank all of the people at the Bridge Church for blessing me with chocolate. Let's open this right now. Yes, Nathan gets to eat chocolate. It's my talk. I can do what I want. So, um, you have some chocolate, you can join me. This is, if we're going to, if there was a chocolate Olympics, this would be a gold medalist. I would like to give a big shout out to the person, you know who you are, who gave me this one. This is not an endorsement. Um, this is amazing chocolate. And so um, when I was at a low, the bridge stepped in. Oh, look at you, Brenda. What is that, Toblerone? Oh, wow. Um, so at a low, you know, chocolate is my love language. I think it might be Sarah Pickering's as well. I'm gonna have another piece here. It's really good. Um, these people, oh, look at Brenda. Okay, work together. Um, they took the time to meet me in where I was at. I think that's key. I think that's key of what Jesus does as well. He meets us right where we're at, in the messiness. You know, I don't like messy. Um, I'm the kind of person who, I have one sticker on my car. I chose carefully where it is. It, it went in a careful spot. I'm not one of these people who have stickers all over my car. I like organization. And so this is the rub. This messiness, I would love to end this talk by just wrapping it all up nice. But the truth is, um, when we have broken pieces in our life, um, it's messy. And I, I want to avoid the temptation to just wrap this up all nice. So um, I'd like to read a quote from a fan of the song that I just read, basically saying, I believe intellectually, God, that you're there. But in my heart, I'm having a hard time hearing you or seeing you. Can we relate to that? I'm having a hard time seeing what you could possibly be doing in the midst of all of this tragedy. Insert whatever thing you're going through right there. Is it COVID? Is it a loss of a loved one? What is it? Um, the mere fact that you're willing to talk to God and open up about the things you can't believe right now is an act of faith. I believe, and Foreman expresses that beautifully here, Resisting the temptation to wrap it up neatly with a final verse that shows him coming back around to believe again. Sometimes you just need to express how you're feeling in the moment, leave it at that, and let others who haven't emerged from that valley yet resonate with it. It's just leaving it there. So do any of us resonate with this? Perhaps. Um, I'd like to just wrap things up here. Uh, lastly, the second of Eden's questions was, what does your story reveal about Christ's character? Well, I believe it reveals my need. That I might possibly never have all the faith that I need. Um, this is, um, I actually learned this from my friend Philip. Um, and that is that I can simply look to Christ's confidence and agree with it. With who Jesus says that I am. My identity. How Christ sees me, I believe, is the key in this. Um, 
and how Jesus is available and open to whatever I would invite him into in those needs and doubts. I believe Christ is okay with my mess. My story is messy and it doesn't scare him off. In fact, I think he wants to be invited into the messiness. This takes courage and it takes vulnerability. I believe this is a process through all the struggles of life. And I would like to emulate Mary. Maybe that's a little bit of an answer to the second question. Um, I'd like to be at that place. So I'd like to uh, propose a thought. What would happen if we invited Jesus into our doubts with us? So if we invited Jesus into the broken and messy pieces. Um, so in closing, how do our doubts keep us from achieving the Mary mother of Jesus level of faith and confidence in Jesus? Doubt appears to be the opposite of the faith we see in Mary here. So much that she appears unruffled by Jesus' remark. She almost ignores it. If Mary has a shout of a doubt, it didn't show in this story. Quite the opposite. Instead, she brings her concern to Jesus and leaves it with him. Mary is confident, secure in who Jesus is. The disciples believed in Jesus after the miracle. And that's commendable. Um, but Mary believes in the absolute power of Jesus' word before it. Perhaps there's another miracle at Cana. Perhaps the epiphany, that aha moment occurred even before the water turned to wine. Maybe, perhaps. So John summed it up well when he wrote in his last verse, and truly Jesus did many other signs, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. God, I believe intellectually that you're there, but in my heart, I'm having a hard time hearing you or seeing what you could possibly be doing in the midst of all of this tragedy and this mess. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Nathan. Um, lots of thoughts and thanks for honoring us um, and not putting a bow on the mess. Um, because I, I think that does dishonor the process and um, what um, God is really doing in the midst of our doubt. I was also thinking, um, I met you somewhere, I think, or something, and you were wearing a new jacket. And it wasn't really a new jacket. It was your dad's jacket and your mom had passed it on to you. Mm -hmm. And um, I feel like you were wearing that this morning. Good job. Um, so let's, let's just close in prayer. Um, Jesus, this morning I have appreciated the fact that we've been reminded, or maybe it's been an epiphany, an aha moment when we've realized that um, our doubt is not separate from you, but that uh, we can have our doubt with you and that you will help us sort through it. And, um, and I pray that um, we won't be looking for a bow to put on this little gift, but um, that instead we'll just be looking for your presence. Thank you for Nathan and thank you for the things that he brought to us this morning that have landed on fertile soil. Amen.